Welcome to a special edition of Snakebite Horror, where we'll be taking over to discuss October's Fright Fest. It has been quite a year for Fright Fest. They've had, so far, three uh, weekends, and two of those have ended up being digital festivals because they've had to cancel or postpone their physical ones. So there was a planned physical festival this October, but with one thing and another, with the fact we're in the middle of a global pandemic, they decided to put it all online. And so across five days, they screened 45 films across three screens. And we delved into them. So my name's uh, Russell. And if you listen to Not Just For Kids podcast, you'll have heard me. But if not, you might have heard me on the previous Fright Fest special we did. Uh, we are joined by James Rodriguez. Hi, James. Hi, Russell. Thanks for having me back. And uh, Vincent M. Gain, who is a new addition. Hi, Vincent. Hey, Russell. Hi, James. It's great to be here. Hi, Vincent. So what is your past experience, you two, of Fright Fest? Well, my first Fright Fest was actually last year, and I'd been long time wanting to go, and then I just thought, why not just pull the trigger? And so I attended the physical Fright Fest last year, and with one thing and another and everything coming online it just made attending fright fest this year much easier so i happily partook in the in the two virtual experiences this year so yeah i'm a fan yeah you're close now a season pro having done uh three of them <laughs> uh vincent have you done fright fest before um sadly my experience is um very boringly much the same as james's uh, my first time at fright fest was 2019 um, attending in person. Um, and my second time was this year, but I actually only attended the October one. Um, I had originally planned to go to the October one in person. And when it moved online, I thought, well, I was going to go anyway, might as well. But I was otherwise occupied at the end of August, so didn't go for the uh, online version then. So uh, yeah, um, I'm a, a relative newcomer. How did you find the uh, digital experience this time then, if you is your first time? Well, there's a there's an honest side and a diplomatic side to that. The, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll, I'll do both. The honest side of it is um, watching a bunch of films on my computer slash um, iPad did get a bit wearing. I had originally planned to see quite a bit more than I had, but um, I actually found the whole experience of watching it um, on home devices less um, gripping, well, less enjoyable than I had hoped. Um, having said that, to be, I mean, actually, I said diplomatic, but this is honest as well. I am absolutely filled with admiration for the organisers of Fright Fest for still putting it on, making everything available online, not just the films, but also um, the interviews, because I saw some of the interviews around um, the films and those were, and to have those set up as well remotely and then to be streaming them too. I think it was a very impressive event. And if anything, I'm just disappointed in myself for not enjoying it more. No, no, I can get that. Like, I've done a couple of digital festivals this year and it, it takes more for a film to grip me than if I'm in an audience with Fright Fest or say the London Film Festival and there's a huge audience around me and so I can feed off the energy in the room. Like I saw Knives Out last year as part of the London Film Festival and definitely the energy of that room helped me get on board with that film. Whereas um, so the, the ones that I've really liked that I've seen in festivals this year, it's been that they're even better films because they have to overcome that hurdle for me of 
that I'm in my either spare room or living room watching them on either my laptop or my TV and they're less they've got less of a uh, an engagement for me in just the atmosphere itself um so what did you think of this festival as a whole you two so James what did you think of the festival I thought that it was a much stronger selection of choices they had compared to their main event early in the year and perhaps that's to do with the lineup we had was mainly the lineup they were going to have for what the physical edition because they were originally planning to do this halloween festival in person but things happened and perhaps it's because of that but you could feel there was a step up in quality compared to the selections they had early on now i will say that i did notice a lot more problems with buffering and uh and with connection issues compared to the last time and there were some problems which caused a friend of mine who was regularly conversing with after each film some issues which caused him to just end up switching off because they were just that bad and it's a darn shame but and oh and there was one humorous incident where a spanish language film was shown without any subtitles which was a unique unique thing to experience <laughs> but in re- disregarding all that i got to agree with vincent that it took a lot of planning to get this to work as well as it did and it does feel like i got my money's worth in experiencing it all and i would have rather been with a load of people and and ha- conversing with strangers and chatting about the film afterwards but i got my fright fest experience and i'm happy with it and how was the festival as a whole for you uh, vincent um it was something i'm glad i did um I- partly because even though I couldn't be there in person, um, what James um, mentioned about the kind of community aspect of it, I think that's really important. And even if we couldn't, you know, be physically in the same area, at least we were able to share views and so on. Things like um, Facebook groups are great for that sort of thing, where um, people whom you don't necessarily know, you can still exchange um, ideas and responses. Um, In terms of the films, um, i just due, due to timing issues that I had, um, I only saw a fairly... Uh, it's interesting that the way they worked out is it tended to be um, either I was watching uh, ghost movies, um, haunting films, or it was um, well, physical ones, um, non, non-supernatural. non So that was an interesting divide, I thought, which came about um, uh, somewhat uh, coincidentally. I did hear about the um, debacle over non-subtitles, and so when I watched a subtitled film i was well a film not in english i was thinking like please be subtitled please be subtitled oh thank god there are subtitles <laughs> so maybe that was the most nerve-wracking part <laughs> waiting for subtitles to appear i only managed a couple of films this time uh, it's good because of you know family life means that i can't just take myself away for this one as much as i wanted to but i saw a couple of films that really stood out for me as great and a few others that were just fine i managed to avoid the ones that people seem to very much take against, which I'm quite thankful for. (laughs) (laughs) And so what we've done is we've put together, um, you guys have put together a top five each. So I thought we'd go through each one and we can discuss, you can tell us why you liked it. And if there's anything you didn't like about it, you can say it as well. 
Um, so James, do you want to do your uh, number five first? I gladly will. My number five of my favourites of Fright Fest this year is one of the First Blood films. It was an adorable little film called Benny Loves You. Now, the premise of the film is that you've got this 35-year-old man, Jack, who lives still lives with his parents. He's gliding by with his job, making toys. He's essentially in Arrested Development. But then when a freak accident causes his parents to perish he's suddenly thrust into adulthood and he's having to pull his finger out so he's selling his family home he's getting rid of all the stuff including his childhood bear which is the titular benny only problem is benny comes alive and he wants to protect jack but the way he thinks that he can do that is by committing murder and what we get is a story about letting go of childhood childhood things knowing when's the time to grow up it's and it's delivered with genuine charm with grisly violence with sorry to sam from trick or treat but the most adorable serial killer i've seen it's imagine if toy story 3 was mixed with a slasher film this would be the batshit end result and i absolutely loved it i would say there are some instances where the budgetary limitations are quite noticeable and that can't be helped but they go through quite they go through quite a bit to make Benny's murderous rampages seem as convincing as it can be and i think this is genuine genuinely one that deserves to be seeked out and this is a little treasure of a film that i found uh, and I found really enjoyable. Yeah, this got a good um, good buzz out of its screening. It, it seemed to be that everyone who saw it loved it and thought this was great fun. Um, I like the first Blood Strand. They said so this year they supported five films, and last year two of the films they supported were uh, Death of a Vlogger and A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, and those are two of my favourite genre films of the last year. They're just really strong affairs, and they give money to low-budget British uh, horror which is great which is what you want to do and i'm sure we'll talk about another one of their films a little bit later on but yeah i i really like that as a badge of approval um vincent what's your number five my number five <clears throat> was the reckoning now um this is one of those that was non-supernatural despite certain evidence to the contrary um i had high hopes for this one as i suspect many people did because it's directed by neil marshall um, the Descent is absolutely one of my top horror films, possibly my scariest one ever. Um, and he's never really, I think, recaptured the lightning in a bottle that he managed with The Descent. Um, so I was hoping with The Reckoning doing a you know proper horror film, come back to Fright, coming to Fright Fest, this was going to be something special. Um, and in some respects, um, I will say The Reckoning was kind of impressive in terms of um, in the interview afterwards, Marshall said that they had no budget, but to look at the film, you wouldn't know. It looks great. It, it looks sumptuous. It looks handsome. It is a very well-mounted period drama. Unfortunately, in some ways, it's a bit too handsomely mounted. Um, and as a result, it lacked a certain amount of um, scrappy, scrappy violence, I thought. Um, there was no sort of raggedness to it. It felt a bit too tidy. Um, and in some places that actually came about, even though the 
the visuals were tidy. I felt the the narrative was quite clumsy. And it's one of the very few times I've actually said, even though this word gets associated with horror films quite often, um, this is the first time I really thought of one. This is properly campy. Um, So it was... um, yeah, it looked good, but it it didn't. But it felt I, I felt quite campy and was ultimately quite unconvincing. Kind of a mishmash of folk horror, history, and action. Um, and one, I think, one of the problems that uh, quite a few people had with um, the reckoning is that on the one hand, it's got this quite campy, over the top tone, and then towards the end turns into a weird revenge film. But it's actually about quite a serious subject because it's looking at witch trials and it's set during the Great Plague. Oh. <laughs> topical um but and it it brings up at the beginning and end statistics of um women who were charged with witchcraft and so on and has these scenes of torture or more accurately references to torture without really giving a sense of pain so it was a very uneven film in that regard so um, i'm still waiting for neil marshall to come back and impress me again it's been 15 years neil come on i mean is it better than hellboy I never saw Hellboy, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, it's better yeah, Neil... than Doomsday. Put it that way. Okay, I haven't seen Doomsday. I sort of I've tuned out, and then I came back in for Hellboy, and Hellboy is <laughs> Hellboy is like a, a pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe film, and it reminds you why whatever I might think about Marvel films, they did a certain justice in making sure we didn't get all the NAF superhero films. But yeah, he's never quite matched up to Dog Soldiers or The Descent, which are the two that he started off with, and those are two incredible horror films, but he's never quite hit that point again. I mean, he's done stuff for Game of Thrones, for Hannibal, for mm-hmm. Westworld, so he has a good like eye as a TV director. Maybe that's what's come through of this. That's why it looks good, even though it had such a small budget. Uh, yeah. James, what is your number four? Well, my number four film was... One of, just from the premise, this was one of my most anticipated going to Fright Fest. It was the horror comedy Slacks, which, if you aren't aware, the the basic idea is we're in this trendy clothing store. It looks like the, it looks so sleek, like it's some Apple store, but for, but for clothing, well, overpriced clothing. And it's retail, it's a horrific pace, and you think that's as bad as it's going to be. Well... They've got these new designer jeans known as the Super Shapers, which the idea is it adapts to any body size through thermally activated denim. But one pair accidentally got soaked in blood. So it goes on a vicious rampage of these hipsters working and inside this trendy store. Yes, it's a killer jeans film. It's a brilliant idea and it utilizes that idea for the most... (laughs) glorious over-the-top murders you will see i mean it's such a ridiculous scenario and they really play up it and have a ball with it i mean you just get when you have scenes of jeans menacingly roaring before they commit cold-blooded murder you know you're gonna have a fun time but what really surprised me with this is it also carries a surprising amount of social relevance about the ruthless nature of big corporations and how as much as they can claim to put on a front and b- 
be it through brandishing pride flags on their logos or having social media channels say Black Lives Matter, it's just an empty statement which they think is going to be good enough and then do nothing to actually combat change. And in some instances, probably adds to the to the suffering in it. And the film really utilizes that idea, that idea for for this for this well-crafted tale about stolen lives and how we turn a blind eye to them all for the sake of of big name items and it ensures that we get something that's more than just a wacky logline which could have been done by the sharknado guys it's it's only 77 minutes long and it's quite an impressive piece of piece of work i thought yeah i caught this um with the festival and i thought it was a lovely breezy violent film that i thoroughly enjoyed and there's now this bizarre trilogy we have of uh evil clothing films you've got uh, in fabric there's a french film called deer skin and now this and they're all they make a great weird midnight trilogy watch at a cinema but yeah no i i had fun with this i thought it was a fun film uh vincent what's your number four my number four um, is one that I mentioned earlier. Um, this was uh, uh, is the Argentinian film, The Funeral Home, or possibly also called The Undertaker's Home, or if I can just horribly butcher the language, La Funeraria. Um, so this is um, Argentinian and in Spanish, therefore it was the one I was afraid the subtitles might not appear, and they did, and I'm glad they did, because um, it might have been quite tricky to follow otherwise. Now, The Funeral Home, um, it's an atmospheric and really quite um, ominous um, film. It was the the first of the haunting films that I'll be talking about. Um, It's actually the last one I saw. It had a very, it had a really effective uh, production design. It was dark and moody without being too dark and moody. Um, And it had set up this very interesting scenario where you've got this, um, in this funeral home, you have... Um, an undertaker and his wife and her daughter, so his stepdaughter, and they're living in this house which is attached to the funeral, but they're not alone because it seems that the ghosts of those who are um, in, who are who he deals with at the funeral home they haunt the premises as well. It's like oh, there's some uh, unexpected house guests, um, but what's very interesting is that these ghosts are sort of expected and accepted. So the family live alongside these um, spirits until something starts to bizarrely. You've got they're living in this haunted house, and then something starts to get weird. <laughs> um, so that uh, they they have a setup, um, but it's things start to go um, start to become more malevolent. Um, so overall, I thought this was um, it was atmospheric and it was effective. Um, having said that, it was a bit one note. Um, there was rather a lot of here we have long tracking shot through the house. Here we have long tracking shot through the house. Here we have long tracking shot through the house. And after a while, I did think any variety possibly. Um, and then I guess I kind of got what I wanted as variety did appear towards the end, but it um, got into different territory and it was um, less effective. So um, I think it, there was a lot of promise. It was the um, director's first film. So um, I think it shows a lot of um, promise for uh, whatever he may do next. So, um, yeah, The Funeral Home um, yeah, was a bit, was, was rather one note, but still um, an enjoyable watch. Yeah, I find Fright Fest is quite 
good at finding uh, foreign genre flicks that we might otherwise not get to watch. And so they do seem to pick up from around the world, which is quite nice. Uh, I might give the, give the one a watch. It sounds kind of interesting in that I quite like moody ghost films. But James, what is your number three? Well, my number three was an Argentinian film called The Returned. And unlike Vincent, I'm not going to try and say the original name from language. I'm just going to butcher it. And the basic story follows this woman named Julia. She's married to this wealthy lord who lives near the Iguaza Falls. And the Lord is part of a group of, they're part of a group of colonizers who are trying to, well, do what colonizers do, come into this land and take it over for themselves and thrust their beliefs in while the indigenous people are pretty much thrusted aside and hunted for sport. And Julia is anxious about the safety of her son Manuel and one day he disappears and while searching for him Julia runs into runs into somebody she f- hasn't seen for over a year under the falls and the idea behind the story is it's a period piece which utilizes a slow burn nature and three separate episodes so which remind me of The Handmaiden in how the first part gives you the basic story and it's fine in its own regards. And then when the second part comes into play, it builds upon what you've already seen and adds layers to it that deepen the story a bit more. And then when the final act comes into play, all the pieces on the board and you see where it's leading to and it just satisfies at the end. And this story builds to a gruesome finale which is quite creepy to watch and i think this period piece ghost story was was quite a standout piece for the festival and if and if you didn't get to catch it it's going to be playing on the so home horror festival next weekend which can be accessed through facebook and it's pay what you can for a ticket which so so there's the opportunity there if it, this film sounds interesting to you. Yeah, I've done both of the Soho Horror uh, weekend things. So they they were one of the first to do an online digital festival when this all went bonkers. And you've grabbed me by saying it's like The Handmaiden, which is one of my favourite uh, films. So maybe I'll give them a watch next weekend. Uh, Vincent, what is your number three? Uh, my number three is a film with um, a, d- a different name, depending on where you're listening. Um, at Frightfest and in the UK, it's been released as The Sinners, but um, in the US and from the looks of it everywhere else, it's been released as The Colour Rose. Now, this was a, a film that I would best describe with a bunch of S's. I found it to be suffusive, sensual and seriously sinister. Um, The Colour Rose or The Sinners, it's a story um, of a group of uh, teenage girls in this very um, repressive, um, strict Christian community um, who, as is often the case with this type of thing, rebel. It's called, in the UK at least, The Sinners because 
it's a group of seven of them, and they each decide that they are one of the seven deadly sins. Um, reminded me, I haven't seen David Fincher's Seven in a long time, and I should rewatch it. <laughs> um, so, in that respect, it's got elements of uh, so it's got a very strong um, aspect of uh, repression, um, perhaps similar to something like The Witch. Um, then it's also got an element of rebellion, strong element of rebellion, which was um, kind of similar to something like sort of Mean Girls meets Heather's. Um, um, but also got elements of teen terror and occult horror. So also kind of reminded me of perhaps of the, uh, most closely of the craft. Um, it may have a supernatural element. It may not. I'm not going to say. Um, but what I um, especially liked about this is um, it was very, as is the case with I think all of the good stuff I've been seeing lately. Um, it's very. It was very atmospheric. It's um, set in this um, fairly remote. Um, community. It's contemporary setting, but here's a weird thing. It's not until quite late on that you suddenly see somebody with a mobile phone. It's like, oh yeah, how come they didn't have mobile phones earlier? Because it, but it works. It didn't seem odd that I hadn't seen them until um, it actually cropped up in that, at that particular moment. Um, so in that respect, it's setting. It's got a really good sense of place. And I said that it was suffusive and sensual. Um, there's a, the way the camera sort of, um, there's the whole idea in cinema of you know the male gaze. This is a female director, so um, that's um, a com- that complicates that idea. And I think the way that it's looking at the female cast is not so much in a way of eroticizing, but sensualizing. It's saying here are these young, vibrant. Um, living beings um, that we can see on screen and some sense of their experience was being conveyed to the viewer. That's what I mean when I say it's suffusive. The way it's shot, the way it's lit, the way music is used. There was very much a sense of um, having the film kind of breathe out and I felt myself then being kind of inhaled with it. So um, I always think that uh, the most uh, strongest cinema experiences, even if it's not in a cinema, are those that can be described as an experience. And I did feel that about um, the sinners. Um, some of the narrative elements perhaps were a bit shaky um, and the characterization in some places could have been stronger. But as a stylistically, it was very strong. Um, and <laughs> the way I've been describing it, it could sound a bit sort of, hang on, is this, am I just making me, you know, middle-aged man perving at a bunch of teenage girls. Well, no, I don't think, I didn't feel that way. I felt that it was showing me their experience and conveying it effectively. So yeah, The Sinners or The Colour Rose um, was my number three. Cool. That sounds like another interesting film that I'll have to uh, seek out. That sounds uh, interesting. James, you have two more picks. What is your um, second from last? Well, my number two of the festival, it... It played on the penultimate uh, block, which was made up of three different films that were equally anticipated and following it all received widespread acclaim from those who saw it. So it was a great block no matter what you picked. My choice from that block was... My choice from that block was Natasha Kermani's film Lucky. Now, this story follows May, a self-help book author played by the excellent Bria Grant, who was also seen in Fright Fest's own film The Stylist. And she's one day she finds her, she wakes up in the middle of the night and what she sees this man stalking outside her house. 
she goes to wake up her husband saying like oh my god there's someone outside and the husband just replies with oh honey that's just a guy who always comes in and tries to kill us and what happens is they take him out but once they turn their back he's gone it's like he was never there so they call the police report it and the response is well you're just lucky it wasn't worse so now understandably may is visibly shaken by this and the next night the guy comes back and may has to fight him off and she not she get, defeats him but yes he escapes again and this continues in a cycle it feels like a never ending fight of may trying to keep herself alive from this murderer who keeps trying to break in her home and inexplicably attack her. Think of it as a Roadrunner cartoon, but we if we saw how visibly affected the Roadrunner was by Wiley e. Coyote's constant attempts to try and kill him. And it what could be just a simple premise that you're thinking, where is this going to go? What what the film manages to do is utilize it to mirror the societal issues which women face how things are awful for them but the response isn't we need to change this it's just a simple acceptance of oh, could be worse oh things are awful it's a startling piece of work it's tense it's funny and it's such an inventive and smart piece which really hope finds an audience which Natasha Kamani's yeah Natasha Kamani's previous film Imitation Girl didn't didn't find despite deserving to be seen widely it's an excellent film that I hope people check out yeah had a I saw this one too and it had a shudder um logo at the start which leads me to optimistically think that it'll get out there and uh it's also written by Bria Grant, and I think she's been pretty great this year for genre. Like she also wrote um, Twelve Hour Shift, which was the last version of Fright Fest, and mm. I love that one too. I yeah, she's really there. Will there was a lot of talent in this film, and I really admired it for that. Uh, Vincent, what's your penultimate pick? My penultimate pick is another haunting film, The Banishing, um, which when when I say that, people seem to think, oh, The Vanishing. No, no, Banishing with a B. <laughs> um, this was uh, directed by Christopher Smith, who's um, kind of a Fright Fest uh, doyen. Um, so it's great to see him back. Um, the Banishing is a late 1930s set um, haunted house tale. Um, a family, perhaps not dissimilar to that in the, actually very similar to that in the, in the funeral home. You've got um, a but the husband, who in this case is a priest, and um, his wife and her daughter. Um, and they come to the, um, the husband's new parish. Uh, it's quite a grand house, but wouldn't you know it, there's something strange afoot. Now, um, this actually, I think, ties quite nicely to what to the film James was describing, because um, there is an element here of, again, the oppression um, of women, particularly by um uh, by religious institutions um, there is a thread throughout this film um, on the one hand of um, the, well, the fairly standard gothic trope of um, the woman tells her husband that there's something strange going on and he doesn't believe her um, 
in that regard. And then you've also got this um, a senior, a senior um, bishop who represents authority, but also appears to represent a certain amount of um, patriarchal oppression. The film is um, very atmospheric. Um, the space, again, the haunted house is uh, really um, effectively put together. The way that the supernatural um, suggestions, the haunting is um, implied and suggested is actually very interesting. Yes, you've got the sort of figures appearing, but rather than being that just something that someone who appears and then disappears when you look back, um, there's also that it does a really interesting thing with time, because what happens is you, your characters will sort of walk into a room and then they will sort of see something which then turns out not to have happened yet. So it's a very uh, so so it brings up that idea of the uncanny and instant and unstable relationship with time, um, which uh, was a very, which I thought was a quite a, a, um, a smart way of um, doing a twist on the idea of haunting. There's a um, political aspect as well relating to contemporary um, events of the late 1930s. I won't insult anyone's intelligence by uh, saying what that is. I'm sure they can work it out. But um, that aspect, I think, works less well. The parallels between what's happening in the house and what's happening in Europe aren't made very clear um, or or aren't made very elegantly. But when it's focused in that house, when it's focused on this family steadily um, disintegrating and when then it's really effective and it's got some pretty damn good jump scares as well. (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, immediately very high on my watch list. I I like christopher smith's work and the cast seems great and it all just seems to be a film that clicks together nicely from what i can see from the outside so i want to dive into this when it gets a proper release uh james what is your top pick of the festival well my number one film of the festival isn't so much a horror film but it was the only documentary which they were showing as part of this fright fest halloween it's called alien on stage now, the story is that we follow this this group of Dorset bus drivers. They do amateur theatrics. They've done productions previously, and it's time for the next one. So they're thinking, oh, we've done Robin Hood the year before. Well, we, we'll probably do a pantomime this year. What they, what's been chosen for them to do is an adaptation of Ridley Scott's Alien, and the idea of taking this big screen film, which costs millions to make, and then bring it to the stage through this amateur production where they're trying to realize the sets and the prosthetics and the costumes through these more cost effective ways, that's great enough on its own. But what's really interesting about this tale is how, after they put on this play, which only 20 people go to, there's someone in the audience who is so impressed with what they've done that he gets, he says, I'm going to get, if I give you the stage, can you perform this at the Leicester Square Theatre in the London West End? And so they go to this small show, which they've barely sold tickets to, which people they work with make excuses for why they can't come, to a sold out show at the West End. And that's remarkable enough. What we see is this group who who are just happy for the opportunity, so they're working their butts off to do this the best possible way they can, and we see them really trying. One interesting thing they do is they have a DVD recording of one of their rehearsals, and then they all get together 
put it on the TV and then they recite their lines while they're watching it, which is a unique way of trying to learn their cues and their proper line readings. But what really makes this special is the final the final act where we actually see portions of the West End play. And is this is just one of the f- most feel-good tales of of the festival. And you see how it's a treasure to witness what they've done with this with adapting this w- widely known feature film how they've realized it and incorporated their own moments of humor. And whenever one of the most famous scenes from the film, those key scenes are reenacted, the audience, they just give such rapturous cheers and it's very infectious to watch. And you just really share in the joy of this wonderful production. And it's just such a lovely experience. And this is one I really hope gets a, gets many eyes on it when it comes out yeah this is this was my favorite of the festival this is probably the only film that i loved at this festival this time and i thought it was utterly fabulous and it reminded me why i love theater why i love horror what why they, those are good things for me and and you sort of need that in 2020 to be reminded that art is good and helps people and it, it can lift people up i i and his work sensational i had so much fun of it and i can't wait to watch it again uh vincent what is your last pick my last pick of the festival um i would say is the only film i loved was relic um, which as i believed gathered a fair amount of um, acclaim before it arrived at fright fest now i think i i would just reductively I would describe Relic as hereditary meets dark water with traces of the Babadook. Um, So, you know, that's three pretty scary movies um, coming together. And Relic is another haunted house film. Um, It is like um, The Banishing and like uh, The Funeral Home. It is um, ominous. It is um, atmospheric again. The house is a magnificent character in its own right, um, which means that there's only really four characters in this um, because you've got the house and then you have these three generations. You have grandmother, you have the mother, and you have the daughter. Um, And and the grandmother, she's starting to um, lose her marbles a bit. Um, And so the mother and daughter come to look after her. Um, and there's clearly a lot of very ten, a lot of tensions between them. The way they talk to each other is often quite stiff um, and formal. Um, <clears throat> uh, the, the there's the house itself is um, you know um, is as an old house would be filled with, um, with with a lot of junk, which actually becomes like not just something to sort through, but actually becomes obstacles. Um, and there's also this a really nice effect used in the film um, of rot. There is some kind of rot affecting this house. The walls have these damp patches on. Um, there are points where it seems to spread. And then the grandmother has this strange bruise on her as well. There is so there's a really it's a brilliant combination of um both haunting, but also this really strong line of body horror. So perhaps, you know, hereditary, dark water, the Babadook, maybe there's a bit of the fly in there as well. 
um, as we see the the space around them as well as um, the person themselves just it's the mind and the body and the space it cannot be trusted it's starting to deteriorate to fall away um, but best better than all of that not only is this film ominous and frightening it's also desperately sad um, you know so many horror films are really about melancholia and so many are about family and here we have a desperately sad um, family tale um, where you know recriminations and um, generational differences um, and a, <clears throat> and um, senses of um, past histories but also even a kind of acceptance maybe some kind of reconciliation they all come together um it's directed uh, by uh, uh, natalie erica james who i think has done an absolutely magnificent job um in an interview she said that she was inspired to write the story from her own experiences with from relatives suffering from alzheimer's um and i think that um it's but i think there may hopefully people who watch it who uh, maybe experience that kind of thing might find something unrecognizable or even cathartic in it i cannot recommend relic enough for if you want to have a, a you know really good scare and quite possibly a good cry yeah i i caught this at the london film festival where it played before this and it's probably one of the most effective representations of dementia i've seen in recent years treating dementia as a horror film while might sound insensitive, it isn't. It's a really effective way to get across the impact of that illness on the person and the family. And yeah, I, I think this film is great. It's really interesting and impactful. Uh, so that's those are your top fives each. I think there's a lot in there that people should go and seek out. Did you enjoy the virtual festival and do you miss the the physical form of it? Uh, yeah, I I did enjoy the virtual festival. Uh, I enjoyed the strain this didn't take on my wallet of trying to seek these see these films and stay over in London. But at the same time, part of why I miss is the whole experience of traveling all that way and gathering with a large group to experience the whole thing together and conversing with each other. I did really enjoy it, but there is, it does feel like there's something a bit missing from this experience without traveling over as well. But yeah, it's understandable. Um, Vincent, do you miss the physical form of this festival? I do. When I went to um, Fright Fest last uh, in August of 2019, it was uh, one of the best trips I've ever taken in recent years. Um, to because I went, I went by myself. I didn't know anybody there. But I came away from it having made new friends, people who I'd only known online, and I got to meet them in person. And with you know, James was one of them actually, and we've kept in touch since then. Um, so that aspect to not see, you know, meet up with people like that again, or indeed meet new people, was something that I missed. I'm glad I attended the, um, the virtual festival. It's nice to be part of the conversation and to have you know com- literal conversations like this one. But um, let us all. Um, pray to whatever demon or um, uh, ancient god we may uh, believe in um, that the um, that the uh, that the, um, the forces of um, COVID will disappear, and uh, next year we can actually all come together um, as the uh, as horror fans are are wont to do. I think we're all rooting for that that day that we can all go and watch our strange films amongst people in a cinema. Um, 
So Mark, at the end of all of his episodes, does this thing where he asks people what they've been watching lately. So what have you watched this last couple of weeks that you think is great and people should go and watch? And I'll start with Vincent. Well, I set myself the task of October to um, see 31 horror films over the course of October, and I have succeeded. Um, I could treat you to the whole list, but, you know, people have lives. Um, <laughs> one that uh, was mentioned earlier, which I would have mentioned as well, um, is um, In Fabric, um, uh, the killer dress film. So that was one I would highly recommend. Also Lake Mungo, which is a, a really, really fascinating um sort of documentary <laughs> um a ghost story so that was um uh, that, that was a uh that was a particular highlight um i found a, a strange film on now tv called swallow uh, which is perhaps more of a psychological thriller but a very effective one um and just recently this week um i watched um uh for this um podcast and website i watched redwood massacre annihilation um, review on that is pending and uh, just yesterday morning i watched i rewatched hellraiser which was uh, a fun rewatch i thought it was um it's a film that i don't find particularly scary but i certainly find it very interesting so yeah i've seen a whole bunch of great stuff this month sounds great uh james what have what have you watched recently well in between fright Fe- outside of fright fest i've mainly been getting through what the BFI have been showing. And I've managed to fit in a couple of films outside of that. Um, I managed to catch St. Maud, which I thought was a really engrossing tale of a really engrossing tale where the real horror lies lies in the psychological unraveling of our lead character. And seriously, Rose Glass, you need to watch out for her that if that's her first film then it's going to be a hell of a career she has i also this year i've been going through the works of david lynch and while i struggle to get through the back half of twin peaks's second season i also managed to watch lost highway which i just find the more of his stuff i watch the more hypnotic i found it and this story of a troubled jazz musician and at the center of this tale of male jealousy is so creepy and unnerving. And I find myself lured back to it. Like I want to unpack this puzzle box by watching the film 40 more times and see what theories I can grasp out of those watches. And I've also managed to couple of my favorites from the London Film Festival were Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor, which is such an engrossing mind bender that gets under your skin. And Dan Martin, seriously, the effects, the prosthetic works, the visual effects, what he does in this film is so impressive. And I like to think his career is only going to go up from here. And it's already been such a good career. Think of a blood-soaked inception with more dicks on screen and that's Possessor. And one more I'll just mention is another round, Thomas Vinterberg's latest film, of course, with Mass Mickelson in the lead role. It's a story about these men who are struggling with how their lives have turned out and it's not turned out the way they wanted. So just to do something, they conduct this hypothesis by staying constantly drunk 
when they're in work and it's su- it's a funny tale but it's also very devastating and it's such an intriguing mix and to be honest this film's just worth worth watching for Mass Mikkelsen's dance moves because bloody hell he can really shake it yeah, I know. Another round is is one of two films that made me cry at the London Film Festival. I thought it was quite something, and Possessor is just a wonderfully mind scrunching watch. It's yeah, I I really want to show people Possessor because I think very few of my friends could handle it, but it's it's exceptional. The um, only other two, so I've watched a lot of films this month, but the only ones I would focus on is uh, I saw a film called The Oak Room at Grimfest. So Grimfest had a virtual online festival at the start of the month and the oak room is sort of what pulp fiction would be today and it's it's basically about people walking into a bar telling stories about people walking into a bar and it seems utterly pretentious and um unnecessarily convoluted but i just really gelled of it and i really got into its atmosphere it's a snowy late night thriller that i really had fun with and the other film um that i've watched I watched the other day for uh, Snake Bite Horror was Train to Busan 2, which is, I, I don't think you need a sequel to Train to Busan and it's not a repeated Train to Busan, but it's really a fun watch. And I had all the fun with this film and it's not perfect and there'll be people who don't like it because it's not Train to Busan, but it's just a fun, silly film that I, I had a riot with. Uh, cool. This has been fun. Where can we send people off to find us? So, uh, Vincent, where do you want people to come and find you? You can find me on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. Um, I am at Dr. Gain, so D-R-G-A-I-N-E. And on there I post my um, little um, tweet-style reviews of every film I see. Um, and you can also find links to there, from there to my blog, uh, Vincent's Views, um, and also to um, the website, The Critical Movie Critics, where I also post reviews. Um, yeah, and from my blog, you can also find a link to my uh, publications um, on Amazon. Cool. And James? Well, I can mainly be found on Twitter at, or letterboxed at roddersj04. I've also got an Instagram account for my reviews, at, which is under the handle of the reviewing rodders, or one word, which keys into my website, which is www.thereviewingrodders.co.uk, where I post my reviews, any podcast appearances I make, links to other writings I do, such as at flyfidelity.co.uk, soberwithashotgun.com, and snakebitereviews.weebly.com. So yeah, check it out if you want to see me trying to pass myself off as intellectual and knowing what I'm talking about. And uh, I'm Russ Loves Movies on Twitter, and that's where I post all the stuff I write. And my podcast is not just for kids podcast, and occasionally we cover horror, but mostly we just cover family films I want to talk about. And there might be something on your Snakebite Horror feed next month that will bring us all back together but for now this has been snake by horror and we've been talking about fright fest october <laughs>